Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. God, amen? Amen. God is good or what? All right, good, good. Um, let's rejoice in the presence of the Lord. You should write this down in your notes. Go ahead and write this down. Write it in bold, circle it, highlight it. And um, I want you to write this question down, which is really the, the name of my series that we're going to, the name of our series that we're going to have here for the next four weeks or so. It's titled, What More? What More? And I want you to think about that right there. What more? And um, last week, I was able to say something, and I'm glad I said it. I didn't say it purposely because I knew this was necessarily going to happen, but I'm glad I said it because um, it backs up kind of what I say, and, and, and I'm glad that, that, I, that I, was, I felt led to say that. And I said to go back to your notes, to go back and listen, to go back and hear um, what the Lord has said to you maybe in times past, whether it's a message from a week ago, a year ago, whatever it is, but not to be afraid to go back and, 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 and see what the Word of the Lord is saying to you. And how you've grown from that place. Uh, where the Lord has taken you from that place. Maybe it's a message from a year ago. And you're like, wow, when I wrote these notes, look how much I've grown from that place. And so many other things that you could really evaluate, examine your life in. So the Lo- Holy Spirit truly has pushed me um, to kind of revisit uh, a text and um, a series of messages. Uh, pretty much that I preached years ago, years ago. And um, they're based on Isaiah chapter 5, and I've gone back to it, and I, and I truly felt this, this, this burning desire in my heart to reteach it, change up some things for the days that we're living in, but to truly just spend time in it and uh, just to, to grow together. So I, I, I pray that we're, that we're blessed in it, uh, in this word today. I think that God is going to really speak to us in the next weeks to come uh, for the next month or so. So, so truly open up your heart. And um, take notes and really let this stuff penetrate and hit the, the deep parts, uh, deep soils of that ground. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let, let's go ahead. What more? What more? Open up your Bibles to Isaiah uh, chapter 5 with me. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5. When you're there, just uh, shout, I'm there. Shout, go for it. Shout something. Show me you're alive. Amen? Amen. Good, good. Isaiah 5. All right. As we jump into Isaiah 5, um, this, is, this is an awesome book, the book Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah. Um, but before we get into this stuff, Isaiah it was written some 2,700 years ago, um, some 600 to 700 years uh, before Christ. So, so it was a time where um, Christ's ministry hadn't started. It was in, it's in the Old Testament. He's a prophet, and the Lord is going to use Isaiah in a special way. Uh, the Lord is going to use Isaiah specifically to speak to his people. And who is it that Isaiah is going to speak to and prophesy to and so on? And we've touched up on this in, in past weeks and stuff because we have gotten into certain texts of Isaiah. But he is speaking to Israel and Judah. As we know that Israel is two divided kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. And here is the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to speak as a prophet to what we would know in Scripture as God's people, the, the Jewish people. 
And it was uh, consisted of those two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And what God tells his people is truly nothing alarming for us today. What we're about to get into, uh, especially today, it's nothing uh, alarming for us. Uh, it's because of 2020 and because of the days that we're living in and because of the days that we will live in. It's not alarming. It's nothing like, wow, I can't believe it. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, I could relate to this or I've seen this in our very own lives. I've seen this in our very own churches or nation, countries, and um, it's not alarming. It's something that we are country, nations, churches, all of us can relate to. I want to jump into Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 20, but we're going to jump again later on back to verse 1. So, so we're starting somewhat in the end. We're going to jump to the beginning later on. But in chapter 5, verse 20, um, this is so, a, a statement that is made. And I, and I want you just to follow along with me. Isaiah 5, verse 20 says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. I told you it would be relative for today. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and that good is evil. Do you see the switching there? It is switching evil for good and good for evil. It is a distorting it is a distorting between the two. That, that dark is light and that light is dark. That bitter is sweet and that sweet is bitter. What sorrow awaits for those that, that are changing those things? That are, that are deciding, I, I want to live in the things that are bad, but yet the world and the, 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 the aim and the direction that the world is going, it's calling the things that are bad good. And what is bad, biblically and in your relationship with the Lord, now we start to call it good. What is bitter, now we start to call it sweet. What is dark, now we start to call it light. And we distort and we switch one, we one for the other. And this is what Judah and Israel had to be told. This is the word that the prophet had to speak to his people. And it's almost a word in which we could speak. Let's not really point at other nations or anything like that but we could speak within ourselves to our nation of what sorrow it is if we turn evil for good and good evil dark to light light to dark and we call bitter sweet and sweet bitter the danger of that he goes on to say in verse 21 what sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes think themselves so clever what sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold they take bribes to let the wicked go free and they punish the innocent you read these passages and, and really it's, it's something that you're like, yeah, man. And these are things that have been quoted lately a lot. These are verses that have been spoken about. These are verses that people have shared. Verse 20 is a very interesting passage because it reminds me of something that we see in the New Testament. It actually reminds me of the life of Jesus. You should write this down. Matthew chapter 12, don't have time to get into that today, but verses 22 through 24, something happens in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. As soon as I say it, some of you are going to be like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Jesus is, is there and, he be, and, a, and a blind, mute, a blind, mute, demon-possessed man comes to Jesus. And Jesus heals this man from demon possession, from being blind, and from being mute. I mean, what, a, what an amazing miracle this was. What an amazing sign and wonder this was. Think about this. He didn't just cast out the demon, but he made his blind eyes see, and he made his mute mouth speak. Like, like this was a massive miracle in Matthew chapter 12. And everyone that is present that sees Jesus in this text in Matthew chapter 12 is amazed at what just happened. 
How did, this, how did this just occur? How did this man just free this demon-possessed, blind and mute man? How did this occur? But when the Pharisees heard about it, they reacted differently than the crowds. The Pharisees heard it and they got mad. They got bothered. They were ignorant to the good that was in front of them. They were ignorant to the sweetness that was in front of them. They were ignorant towards the light that was in front of them. And do you know what they say about Jesus Man, if he was able to do such a thing, he has to work for Satan. Paraphrasing it. He works for the powers of, of Satan. He's on Satan's team. He's, he's definitely doing works for Satan. That's why he's able to cast out demons. And what are these religious leaders of this day, these Pharisees of their days, what are they confessing here what, what are they doing here what are they what are they calling out what they're doing is they're looking at good and they're calling it evil they're looking at light and they're calling it darkness they're looking at sweet and they're calling it bitter you've ever seen someone heal gets healed and like that's not from god just don't deny that someone got healed and it's not from God. Be very careful. Don't just call good bad or evil. Don't just call something that was sweet just bitter just because it messed around with your theology, with your way of, th of, of, of thinking. You, you know what I'm trying to say? And here are these religious leaders and it messed up with their teaching. It messed up with their belief. And like, oh, that's definitely evil. That's definitely bitter. That's definitely from darkness. When right before them was nothing but sweet honey dripping from the comb itself. Nothing but light shining on the earth. Nothing but good in the midst of darkness and, 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 and in the midst of evil. What a, what a powerful moment this was. I, I want to look a little bit closer into this. And I hope it really does something and teaches us something. Go, go, go to the beginning of Isaiah uh, chapter 5. And here is the word of the Lord. And here is the word of the Lord to his people. And it says this. The Lord says, now, let me sing to my well-beloved. Talking to and speaking of his people. A song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard. On a very, now I want you to see some of the things that the Lord is saying. On a very fruitful hill. What kind of hill is it? It's a fruitful hill. Do you think that's significant to the hill? The fruitfulness of that hill is very significant in this passage. He could have said a barren hill. He could have said a high uphill, a low hill. He could have described the hill in so many different ways. But I want you to understand that the significance of this, that it was on a very fruitful hill. On a very fruitful hill. If you know anything even about Jerusalem, it's set up on a hill. It says in verse 2, he dug it up and, and cleared out its stones. Stones are very important. Because if I'm not a farmer, and in Miami it's hard to be a farmer, but I'm watching this documentary, as you know I love, and it's a celebrity that's traveling throughout different lands, and he's speaking about water in different countries and the way people farm in different countries, the way people eat. And here in Miami, it's hard. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to farm, and I don't even know if this is a good place to even start farming at. But what's important here is that you don't have to be too knowledgeable to know that stones are not a good thing when you want to necessarily farm. 
and when you want to bring up plants that are going to produce fruit. And he says he planted it here, and he, and he says as he, as he put this city here, he had to dig up and clear out all its stones in verse 2. So the stones are unnecessary things in this passage. All of this stuff represents something. I want you to understand this. Verse 2, we keep reading, it says, And he planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the midst, and he also made a wine press in it. How was the hill? I'll see if you guys are paying attention. The hill is a what kind of hill? It's a very fruitful hill. And what else does he put in the middle of it? A watchtower, we'll get into that. And what else does he put in the middle of his beloved? He puts a wine press. Why do you think he puts a wine press? He puts a wine press because these individuals are supposed to what? Produce fruit. They're supposed to produce fruit. Why? Because it's a wine press specifically, what kind of fruit are they to produce? Grapes. So you put the grapes into the wine press, and what do you think you're going to make with some of these grapes? You're going to make olive, you're going to make oil, you're going to make what else? Wine. You're going to make wine and, and oil and all these different things within this press, specifically wine. It's a wine press, and you make wine in this wine press, which is very significant here. And, and he puts this, this, this tower, and he puts this wine press in it, so it's obvious that these people are to produce in the land. Are to be a blessing in the land. And look what he says. Let's keep reading verse 2. Here it is. So he expected it to bring forth, what does it say? Good grapes. He expected it. I'm going to look up that word expected in a moment. I'm going to give you some form of definition of it. He expected for it to bring forth good grapes. If you were at more last week, we talked about good works. If you've been here for the last few weeks, we've talked about good. Well, what is my purpose in life? To do good works. To do the good works of God. What were they supposed to do? Bring forth good grapes. Bring forth the good works of God. If you're more, that's something that should really trigger you right now. It's something that should mean a lot to you as we got into that um, this week in Bible study. But good grapes they were to bring forth. And that's what he expected. He expected it. Do you actually think that the Lord expects anything from you? How many of you have this thought in Scripture like, the Lord doesn't expect anything from me? You're reading the Bible wrong. The Lord expects from them, and He expects specifically good grapes. I'm wondering, right, like, if this, how many of you believe that the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead will raise you up? All right, that's a pretty powerful statement, okay? That's a very powerful statement. The same spirit that raised up Christ will raise me up. So if the same spirit that is in Christ now lives and is alive and it abides in you, do you think he expects something from that which is alive in you? <laughs> and, and, and this is what he says. He expects good grapes. Let's read the end of that verse. It says, but, you always know we've gone over this. Whenever there's a but, uh, something negative is going to come out. This is the good, this is the good, this is good, but this is what truly happened. It's like the people that, 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 uh, that say, oh, the picture for Instagram and then reality. You've ever seen those posts? Uh, no, I kind of went over your head. But, but it's kind of like that, you know. This is how it should be. And you have that person, you know, and, and, and I saw one recently, that's why. And it's someone like, like with a Mercedes um, wheel and, you know, showing off their watch with the Mercedes wheel. And it's like a selfie. And then when you zoom out, it's a little kid's car with a, with a Mercedes. So you think that for the, for the Instagram, it's, it's a Mercedes. Wow, he's driving a Mercedes. But if you zoom out, it's actually like his son's little play car that... It's electric, you know, and it's a Mercedes. I'm like, you don't even know because 
It's for the Insta. So all this good, this is what I'm expecting, this is what it should be, but look what happens to what was supposed to produce and bring forth good grapes, but the Lord says it brought forth what? Wild grapes. That's a very important word. Some very important words that we need to look at are these words, are the words wild, wild grapes, and he expected, expected them to bring good grapes or forth good grapes. So what is he doing? He is speaking here to Israel and to Judah. And he's calling them his vineyard. This is my vineyard. My vineyard. And, and what does he call out his vineyard? He says, not just are you my vineyard, but, but as my precious vineyard, look what I've done with you. I've put you on a fruitful hill. Listen, I know we're talking Old Testament. I know we're talking specifically about Judah. I know we're talking specifically about Israel. But come on, how many of you can say, you know what? I'm God's vineyard. And the Lord has put me on a fruitful hill. And, and you're, you've been put on a fruitful hill. Number two, I've cleared out all the stones. How many of you, the Lord cleared out stones in your life? Come on, the sin in your life, the condemnation in your life, people in your life. He just had to clear out stones in your life. I don't know about you all, but he's cleared out stones in my life. And there's still some stones to be cleared. That you always, throughout the journey of life, you end up picking them back up and you put them back in your garden. Like, what the heck? Stop picking up the stones that I took out of your garden. Come on, anyone in here ever pick up some stones that should never be inside your garden? All right, good. I'm, not just, I'm just making sure. that I'm not just talking to myself. I want to make sure we're all together. I know it's a smaller group this Sunday, but I want to make sure we're all here together. Amen? You've picked up other stones. I'm, I'm, you don't lie to me. And you know you should have never picked them up. And when you're picking them up, you feel it deep in your spirit that he says, why are you picking it up? You know you shouldn't pick it up. And you know that you shouldn't pick it up. And then you put it in your garden. And as you polish it in your garden, you know it's causing harm. And what should be growing there, that stone is causing it to not grow. And what's happening to you is what? You're feeling the effects of it. And it's not because of anything of you. And it's not because God is a bad father. It's because you picked up a stone that he actually threw away a long time ago. I could tell you that I relate a lot to Isaiah 5. Me. I'm just going to take it for myself then. It's me. I, believe, I, I can relate a lot. I put you on a fruitful hill. I cleared out all the stones. Number three, I planted with the choicest vine. Thank God he's planted me with some choicest vine. That, I'm, uh, that I could be around some people that are, that, are, that are part of God's good choice for me. The choicest vines. This, this speaks about this speaks about, a lot of this is, is, is what, vertical stuff? But, but this choices vine stuff deals also with the horizontal things. The, other, the others that are inside the vineyard with you. The choices of vines. And then he says, well, I built a tower. I didn't just leave you there like that, but I also built a tower, a watchtower. I built a tower in the middle of it. Why a tower? If you know anything about these days and anything about towers, well, I'm sure you could, you've, Watched a lot of Hollywood movies. What do towers do? What are towers for? Towers are to watch and to alarm if there's an enemy coming, if there's harm coming. A, a tower is a form of protection. A tower is a form to guard, to keep that which the tower is in safe. And, 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 and building a tower in the middle of this vineyard was very crucial and very important. He, he builds a tower in the midst of it because he's showing them, here I am. What, 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 is one of the, what is one of the names of God? He is our what? The Bible says that he's actually our strong tower. I, I love that, that he's the strong tower and he's also the watchman on the strong tower. 
And, 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 and as the strong tower, I have a strong tower in my own life. Here he is, and he's protecting, he's guarding, and he's keeping me. And I just have to be obedient to when that tower rings the alarm and says, Regal, that's danger. Whoop, 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 get away. I could decide, I'm, I'm going to disobey the watchman on the tower. Or I could be obedient. He's, he's sounding the alarm. The smoke signals have gone up. This is not a good place for me to be at. This is not a good place for, for a good person for me to dialogue with. This is something that the Lord is telling me to get out to protect myself. To, you guys see how it's relevant? So he builds a tower. And the last thing, not, he, on a fruitful hill, he clears out the stones. He plants the cho- um, you in a choice with choices vines. He builds a tower. And then the last one, he makes a wine press. A wine press specifically, like we said, because it was supposed to bud. It was supposed to prosper. And then, what does he say? It says he expected it. After I've done all these things, please listen. After I've brought a fruitful hill, after I've taken out, taken out all the stones, I put you among choices vines. I built a tower in the midst. I made a wine press. After I've done all these things, here's what I expect from you. Here is what I expect from you, my people. He says, I expect you to bring forth good grapes. Good grapes. Good grapes. It's obvious that in these two verses that God made every provision for his people. Specifically, not just for themselves. Please listen to us because our Christianity is not about yourself. Your faith in Christ is not just about yourself. He made every provision for these people. Every provision for them to prosper, to do well, to be good, to produce good. But if you notice, so that they could be a blessing to the world. I want you to know that if you're presently in the Lord today, and he's prospered you, and he's put you on that hill, and he's taken out stones, and he's put you among some of the choicest vines, and he's built a tower in your midst and wine press so that good grapes could come out, good fruit could come out of you. I'm telling you right now, it's not just for you to hog it all up. It is for what? It is for others to receive from. Your life is for, your life is a cup that others should drink from. All right. And he makes every provision for them to be a blessing. Every provision, how, how, how many of us can, ad, can admit to that, man, the Lord has made every provision for me to succeed. Even in my failures, even in my hard childhood, let's say. Let's say some of you had a bad childhood, some bad experiences, some, a past marriage, something that went wrong, a kid that just turned the wrong way. I, I mean, whatever it is that it relates to you. But in the midst of some of the darkest moments of your lives, how many of you have seen the provision of the Lord to cause you to prosper? I'm wondering if this is something that our nation will ever hear. That he provided for us so that we would be a blessing to the world, but instead we've choose with the blessings that God has given us to do evil with it rather than good. So, so such, an, such, a, such an amazing thing. He, he went from placing them on a hill because... There's danger in the valley. Why, why, do you, why do you think he would put them on a hill? Because I'd, I'd rather you all be on a hill because if you're in a valley, there's danger there. If you're in a valley, there's thieves and robbers. There's people that are going to want to take from you. There's, there's a lot of bad that goes on in the valley, and I want, you, I want you to be placed on a hill. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to be on top, not beneath. And, and he's placed us on a hill. He cleans out the junk, the stones, the opposition, stones that would hinder from us being a blessing, from them specifically being a blessing. He puts them in the choice 
vine amongst what is pure. I love that. I had a conversation with one brother the other day, and he says, I just wanted to talk to you the other day, and he calls me this week. I think it was this week that we spoke, and early in the week, and he says, I just want to, I want to thank you, and I want to thank the church because I've been praying, and what an honor it is to, to get around people and be able to fellowship and hang out with people now and, and just do life with them. It's something that I know I needed for a long time, and, and, I'm, and I'm, filing, I'm finding that culture, and I'm finding that, those relationships within the nest, and I just want to thank you. Uh, I just want to thank you for, for offering that. And, and, give, and that blessed me because what does that mean? He's placing them amongst choice vines. He's placing them around people. He builds a tower in the center, assuring their protection, shelter, guidance, like, like, ta- like the tabernacle. The people would be all around it. In the middle of them was the tabernacle to remind them that the Lord was with them, that the presence of God was there. The children of Israel had the tabernacle in the center of their lives always they would open up their tents, and the first thing that they would see was the glory of the Lord on top of the tabernacle. Imagine that, waking up, opening up your house, and all you see is a fire, just, just a fire from heaven, just burning up, consuming. Just, it's there in front of your tent, there in front of your house. And then in verse 2, God has placed them to succeed. How do I know that God has placed them to succeed? Because of what he says in verse 2. You should underline that, highlight that, write that down. Again, I'm going to repeat myself. He says he expected them to bring forth good grapes he placed them to succeed how many of you know you've been placed where you're at by god to succeed to succeed god didn't put you in your place so you could be a failure now in succession you might experience failures but you're not a failure on your road to succession you experience it but you're not a failure it's to succeed amen he expected them to succeed the word expected in the hebrew as I told you, I was going to define this. It's, a, it's, it's such an amazing phrase or concept. It's not just like, oh, I expect you like, to do your homework. And then they don't do it. They're like, oh, you, know, you don't get no playtime today. No, no, it's deeper than just I expect you. When, when the Lord says, I expected you to, to do this, that, that passage to bring forth good fruit or good grapes there, that word expected in the Hebrew means this. He lied in wait for Meaning he looked eagerly upon. That's so crazy how the Lord has so much interest in his children that he looks eagerly upon your life. He lies in wait for you and he expects you to do well. Man. Man. So what happens with God's people? What happens specifically in Isaiah chapter 5? Verse 2 tells us, but it brought forth wild grapes. He expects them to do well, but it, instead it backfires and it brings forth wild grapes. It's not the same. Not the same as the verse before where he, he expects them to, to, to bring forth good. Instead, they bring forth wild. And you're like, well, wild's not bad. Wild's good. I want to be, a little, a little wild is good. A little dab, a little, a little touch of wild can be good for someone so. No, you need to understand what wild means here. I want them to bring forth good, and that's what I expect for them to bring forth good grapes, but instead there was wild grapes. So what in the world does he mean by wild? The the word wild there can be better translated as stinking or sour grapes, and those were called wild grapes. If you're a farmer in the vineyard and you are um, go ahead and producing uh, grapes with those that are sour and those that are no good and are stinking, you call them wild. Those are the wild grapes that you just trashed them. You 
do away with them. They're called wild grapes. They're not just for the sake of saying wild. They're wild grapes. They're not in order with the rest of the grapes that are growing together. They're wild. And the reason specifically why they're wild in its proper definition is because they smell. Not just do they stink, but they're sour. They have a bad taste. So being around them is a stench, and tasting what they offer is a stench. <laughs> Nothing's good from those grapes. I expect for you to bring forth good grapes, but instead you brought forth what? Stinking and sour grapes. And then the next four verses are nothing beautiful or kind to Israel or Judah. It's actually pretty sad to read. Let's go ahead and fly through it. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Remember everything I just read in verse 1 and 2. In verse 3 he says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. Look at verse 4. Here's the, the series title. Ready? What more? Everyone say, what more? What more? Come on, have you ever been in a relationship with someone? You said, what more can I do for you? Nobody? Uh, you've ever been a friend with someone to someone? You've ever, you've ever told a child that? You're a teacher? Maybe, and you're in the classroom, and you look at your students like, what more? You, uh, do I have to teach this lesson again? Like, what more? You've ever said that out of your mouth? What more? What more do I have to show you to show you that I really care? What more do I have to do to tell you that I really love you? What more? What more? What more? What more do you need me to display? What more? So he says to them in verse 4, what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done it yet? What more? What more? Come on, say it one more time. Just, just I don't think I'm crazy. What more? What more could have been done that I have not done? Why then, when I expected it, I'm going to change that for a moment. When I expected you to bring forth good grapes, did you bring forth wild grapes? What more could I have done? Come on, did you forget already that I put you on a fruitful hill, that I took out your stones, that I put a watchtower, I put you among the choicest vines, and still you have not produced. I put a wine press there, and you have not given me what I've expected for you to give me. What more could I have done? I put put you in a church. I put you around people. I placed you in a place where you can learn the word of God. And yet you still haven't lived to your calling. One more. Sorry. Just wanted to make sure I made a point there. One more. What else do I have to do? What else do I, where else do you have to go? Like one more could have been done. I expected for you and you brought forth wild grapes. Verse five. Now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Uh Oh, I will take away its hedge, it shall be burned. I will break down its wall, it shall be trampled upon or trampled down. Verse 6, I will lay it waste and it shall not be pruned or dug. <clears throat> but there shall come up briars and thorns and I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain on it. Come on, what more? What, what do you think God I wonder if any of you caught this. In verse 4, when the Lord says, what more? What do you think he means by that? This is what I got, and I'm going to share it with you. What more? Anyone want to take a shot at it? What do you, what do you think he meant? What more? What more? Come on, someone scream it. What more? How could you not? That's a good, that was a good way of saying it. How could you not after everything I've done? How could you not? What more? I, I like that phrase. Because I look at that phrase and it's almost as if the Lord is saying, I leave no more room for excuses. The line has been drawn, no more room for excuses. You're going to have to really face this stuff. What more? I leave no more room for excuses. Then verse 5 and 6 are just harsh. 
It's prophetic of the constant. If, if you've ever studied the life of Israel, you, you'll, you'll notice what happens with them. It's a, it's a prophetic word that is a constant in, constant in their invasions and, and national destruction that Israel would pass through. It was a constant trampled upon. A, a constant horrible story, Israel, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And it was a prophetic word that was given to them. And we've seen his prophecy come to pass. Because in the same book, in Isaiah chapter 55, if you're taking notes, write this down. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11. Do you know what scripture says? In the same book, the same prophet, Isaiah, here is what the Lord says. In chapter 55, verse 10 and 11. So good. He says, so, so, sorry, forgive me. So shall my word be, he says. It shall not return to me void, but accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. The Lord is like, what I say will do, it will happen, it will occur. This is such a powerful book, such a powerful statement. What more? Because I really believe it's so significant for our time. And you'll see how we build upon this for the next few weeks. But Israel in this passage is the focal point. And we see that in Scripture, it's a constant focal point throughout the Scripture. Israel. It's so interesting that it's history, Israel's history... I don't know if you guys know this, it also speaks of us. The Bible is not just about Israel. The Bible is not just for Israel. And God is not just for Israel. Neither is salvation just for Israel. Jesus the Messiah is not just for Israel. I'm telling you that Israel is placed there, but a lot of Israel speaks of us. And I want you to understand that and catch that. It's a focal point there throughout the text because of the time frame that we were living in. The context around it, but Israel's history speaks a lot about us and of us. I want you to think about this as we get into some things. Think about the beginning of all creation for a moment. I'm going to go over maybe three things. Think about the beginning of all creation. Who do we have in the beginning of all creation? Two specific people that we are very familiar with. Who are, what are their names? Adam and Eve. What happens to Adam and Eve? This is way before Israel was ever founded. This is before Abraham ever had, ever had Isaac, Isaac ever had Jacob, Jacob, okay? This is before all of that, just Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve have? Adam and Eve had what? Everything that they needed. What more? They had everything. Everything was given to them. To what specifically? To succeed, to prosper. That they would be blessed and that they would be a blessing. How do I know that they were not just supposed to keep the blessing for themselves? Because there was a command given to Adam and Eve. What was it? Be fruitful and multiply. What was it? The blessing is also to what? For others. So it wasn't just for Adam and Eve. They were to be blessed but also to be a blessing to others to come after them. What happens to Adam and Eve? We would have to get so much into the story. They turned. They turned. Remember, remember, the begin remember verses 20 and on, right? They moved what? Evil and good around. They moved what? Sweater and... Sweater. Sweet and bitter around. They moved light and darkness around. They turned. They turned. They saw evil and called it good. They saw darkness and called it light. They saw bitter and called it sweet. Oh, oh that fruit looks so good. And God's like, no, I told you already. It's not good. Yeah, but it's good and it's not good. They switched it around. They distorted the truth. That's how it starts, you know. You start to distort a little bit of the, the word. You start to justify a little bit of the word. Next thing you know, the enemy has all of you. Just believe a little bit. It's okay to have a little bit of fun. It's okay to have, be a little loose. It's okay to, and next thing you know, you're just f completely gone. But yet you still hold on to certain scriptures. God still, God is still, God, and no, you distorted what was good to evil, what was sweet to bitter, what was light to darkness. All right, good, we got that. Verse 4, he goes on, he says, and it makes sense to Adam and Eve. What more could I have done? To Adam and Eve, I can't think of anything else he could have done for Adam and Eve. 
Think about our very own lives. What more could have done? You know how many times I've made a mistake and God's like, what more could I have done for you, Rigo? I'm like, nothing. I just think. I just messed up. Come on. Do I have anyone here that can relate to Adam and Eve? I'm not picking on the word. I'm not bashing over the head. I'm telling you that this stuff is about us as well. So he talks about Adam and Eve. Then we look at Israel all throughout Scripture. I'm not going to get into Israel because we will be here for months. But time and time again, we see Israel what? Prosper, do great things, be faithful to the Lord. So then what? To turn and back, kind of backstab, right? Back away from the Lord. And it's almost like, what more Israel could have, could have been done for you? Israel is a great example. Adam and Eve, Israel. And then we look at the church. Not just like Nest Church or that church or this church, but, but the church, the organism itself. And what did he do with us, the church? He's called us to what? To succeed, to prosper. He's called the church to multiply, to grow, to disciple, to do great things. He's called, what does he say in the New Testament? Greater works than these you will do in my name. I mean, he's called the church to do good, prosper, succeed, to be blessed. How many of you can say you're blessed? I mean, things could be difficult in your life, but how many of you deep down know you're blessed? But also not just be blessed, but to be a blessing. And just like we see in the beginning or with the beginning of creation and what we see with Israel, what has he done in our lives? Come on, let's be very honest, because this is the part where I start to, to go down the hill in my message here for a moment. And all of this is an introduction for the weeks to come, believe it or not. So what does he do as he's blessed us? What has he done? He's placed us on a hill. How many of you can say he's placed you on a hill? What do you mean? He seats us, the Bible says in the New Testament, in heavenly places. We're seated with Christ. He sets us and he places us on a hill. He cleans out all of the junk, meaning he takes away all the stones. How many of you have already admitted that that's, that's the truth in your life? He's put us among the choicest vine. He's put us amongst, what does that mean? The righteous, the pure, the holy, etc. Around people that I could grow with, love with. People that, that, will, that will truly be brothers and sisters in my life. Not just for a moment, man, but long term, to the end. This, this, is, this is people that we're willing to die with. This is, this is choices vines, choice vines. He, meaning Christ, every time I say he, has become what? The center of our being. He's become the watchtower, guarding, protecting, fighting, praying, defending us. Amen. He's also become the watchtower. And the last thing, the wine press in our midst. What is he doing? He's expecting us to what? To produce fruit, grapes, which bring forth good wine. All of this stuff speaks of you and I. All of this speaks about the organism, which is the church of Christ. You know, we talk about the wine press, and you can look at the wine press in two different ways. The good wine that comes out of the good fruit that is budding from the good vineyard, the good vine. That, that, that's one way you could look at it. It's the good wine that comes from good fruit in the vineyard. Or you could see it how scripture puts it in other parts. As in Isaiah chapter 63, you should write that down, verse 3. Have you ever seen one thing have a negative tone and a positive tone to it? I'm wondering if you have a negative tone and a positive tone. You guys know what I'm talking about? On this place, you're a little bit darker. And around that place, around those people, you're a little bit lighter. I wonder if you could relate to that, depending the climate, is depending the kind of vineyard you are. You know? If you're with these people over here, you kind of talk like them, and you do like them, and you're like, I just fit in with them. And then when you're around these people, you're, you're just, you know, I'll produce that over here. And I'll produce, I wonder if you could relate to that stuff. So, so, so you could look at the vineyard as I'm producing good fruit because I'm part of a good vineyard, or you can see it how Scripture says in Isaiah 63 where God, it says, he, he, here's, here's another tone to the vineyard or to the winepress. God tramples the winepress, whoa, trampling the enemies as grapes. He says that he tramples his enemies is what the Scripture says, and their blood has stained his clothes. Wow, how can one thing have a negative and a positive? All because of what it produces. It's like the tree. 
It's like the tree that produces good fruit and the tree that does not. It's like the day that Jesus is walking with his disciples and they see a fig tree. And what happens? The fig tree is supposed to produce good fruit. And Jesus goes up to the tree. And what happens to the tree? And there is so much depth in that whole conversation between him and the tree and the disciples. That stuff is speaking about nations. It's speaking about a lot of stuff. And he looks at the tree and he says, well, curse be this tree who did not produce what it's supposed to produce. They go. They do some miracle signs, wonders. They heal a lot of people, save a lot of people. On their way back, what do they notice? Here's a tree that was alive. Now it's withered and it's dying. What happened? He had to trample on it. That tree was no good. You will know a tree by its fruit. And the Lord says, well, this tree, it's known by its fruit. So because of that, I should just show that it withers. And there's a lot of significance behind that story. But what am I trying to say? He stained his clothes with their blood. You see how the wine press has two different examples? We learned something. We can learn something from this passage that I pray we'll be very cautious about. That we don't take something and take it so lightly. And it's this. That we don't take what is evil, dark, and bitter and justify or give excuses by bringing it to our relationship with the Lord and calling it now good and light and sweet. Especially in the days that we're living in. This is the greatest days to be alive to what? To be sweet, to be light, and to be good. In the face of what? That which is bitter, that which is dark, and that which is evil. Don't change. Don't justify. Don't give excuses. You're called to be good. You're called to be sweet. You're called to be light. Show it to the dark. Show it to the bitter. Show it to evil. I am the vineyard of God. I am the vineyard of God. I am the vine of God. And he expects for us to produce good fruit. I am good. I am sweet. I am light. Amen. We can learn something. Don't exchange it. Don't justify it. Make some decisions. Make a stand. And, 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 you, and you're, you're, you're for something greater. I said in the weeks to come, we're going to play with it. Though, though this will never become a political rant place, this podium. But in the next weeks, you have an opportunity. And, and, and really, for months and maybe years to come, if God gives us the opportunity to live for years to come. But, but you have the opportunity to be good and sweet and light. Don't rant like the other people rant. Don't speak like the other people speak. Don't instigate like the other people instigate. Why? Because you're a choice vine in the vineyard of God. Come on, I'm wondering if, if you could hear the Lord say, what more? I've put you right where you need to be, and I've called you for such a time. How, how many of you are, are feeling deep in your spirit uh, that God has called you for such a time, that, that these are some awesome days to live in because God is going to call me for, for, for certain relationships, for certain people, whether it's small groups or large groups, whatever it is, but one by one, God is calling me to live in such a time. Amen? In Romans chapter 1, we see the days that we'll live in. But I say we'll live in, but it's hard because in parentheses, if you just look at my own notes, I actually wrote this down. And already living in. So it's weird because we're going to live in it and we're kind of living in it already. So Romans 1 was written for the days to come, but I could kind of say it's kind of the days that are here. We're very familiar with Romans 1 and what people will do and, and be like before the Lord's return. I believe in the Lord's return. I believe in it. I believe that I'm, I believe, forget that, I believe in my return. I believe in Rigo's return. I believe I'm going to return. There's going to be a day where I'm going to go home to the place where I'm called to abide in. How many of you believe 
in your going. I believe in my going. And I believe in his coming. In Romans chapter 1, uh, for sake of time, I'll start off in verse 21. He says, tell me if this sounds like today. He says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense. And their senseless minds were darkened. You saw that? Light turned into dark. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You know how many people are claiming to be wise? We see them a lot on our TV sets. I mean, my goodness, some of them are leading this place. They claim to be wise, but what does he say? They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This stuff can mean more than just birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Verse 24, that God, therefore God delivered them over into the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served something created instead of the creator. You know what I've learned? You know what I'm learning? That people are worshipping government more than the creator himself. I've seen so many Christians be bound by government than they are freed in their creator. Just because of the time that we're living in, just saying that. They worship something that is, and they worship and serve something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Verse 26, this is why God delivered them over to the grating passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their, own, in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Look at the days that we're living in. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They've, they've distorted the gospel. they distorted the word. They'll say things like it's all done in love. Not really defining what truly, what truly biblical and godly love is. But yet, in their carnal, earthly way, they say it's all done in love. And if it's done in love, then everything's good. That means I could justify anything I do. I could tell my wife, I just did that because of love. And you need to love. And if you know, it just doesn't make sense. There has to be a line. There has to be a line. There has to be truth to love. Let's keep going. Verse 29, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy. Man, do we see that today? Murder. I just said that me, Carlos, and, and Omar, who, if he's watching, happy birthday, but we preached at a Walmart the other day, a couple weeks ago, and that Walmart last night, two people got shot, one got killed. Evil, murder, right there, right in the corner of my house. Evil, murder. Tell me if we're living in these days. They're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are, they're, they're full, sorry, they're full of murder. Look at this, quarrels, <laughs> deceit, malice. They're gossipers, slanderers. They're God-haters. They're arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Verse 31, they're undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Verse 32, although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. This is powerful. This is the apathy. This is omission, commission, sin, all together in one. 
But I don't want to get so deep into all this. The scripture really preaches for itself. But what is it that I'm really saying is to be careful. To be careful for what? Especially as we dig deeper in the weeks to come. Be careful not to mix, not to shift on the truth. When? In the days that many will fall away from the truth. Many will fall away from the truth. Be careful not to call evil good, dark light, and bittersweet. Come on, I wonder if any of you could hear the Spirit saying, what more? What more? What more could have been done for you? What more could have been done for us? Isaiah says this. Isaiah says in chapter 62, 12, he says, And they shall call them, listen to what he's saying. They shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. The same people that Isaiah is speaking of, he says, they shall be the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, shall be called, sought out, a city that is not forsaken. Man, I want to receive that for myself. Is that even biblical? Yes, because Peter is going to echo it in the New Testament for us. You could say, okay, that was just for Judah and Israel. Okay, give it to Judah and Israel, but I'm going to take 1 Peter 2.9 for me then. 1 Peter 2.9, and we said it here a couple weeks ago. Man, I have something in my eyes driving me nuts. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you would proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of what? Darkness into light. Don't switch it. This is who we are, Isaiah 62, 1 Peter chapter 2. What more? I want everyone to write this down in your notes as, he, as we get into the weeks to come and we talk about good and sweet and light. It's going to be fun. The next three weeks are going to be very fun, very encouraging. We're going to grow. We're going to learn a lot together in the next three weeks. But as we just introduce this passage in Isaiah, this book of Isaiah, I want all of you to write this down. I put our, but I want you to make it personal. You should write this down. I always do this in this church. I always do this to our family. I always do this here at Nest to remind you guys. So write this down in bold, highlight it, underline it. My future is bright. You should write that. My future is bright. I want you to start thinking that my future is bright. It's so beautiful that in Christ, everything could get dark around us, but that we could get brighter. My future is bright. So what I did was something that I do very often here and, and, and I don't care that I do it often and I'm going to continue to do it often because I like to remind us and I like to do it in my own time. I like to read from Isaiah, from Ezekiel. I like to read from Revelation, John and I love to see their throne accounts. You know if you've come to this church long enough, those are my favorite passages of scriptures are the throne accounts because it just makes me think like what am I going to do? What am I going to say when I see it? So I'm just going to revisit it. Our future is bright. Say that to yourself. My future is bright. My future is bright. I'm his vineyard. My future is bright. In Revelation chapter 21, just to kind of remind you of this, verse 22, let's read it again. It says, but I saw no temple in it. It's talking about the new Jerusalem. Talking about our future home. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You know what it says there? You know what it really says there? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And look what it says. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine for the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is its light. Man, I can't wait to live here. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. Notice there's no darkness. The kings of the earth, they bring their glory and they honor into, and honor into it. Verse 25. 
the gates shall not be shut at all by day. You've heard me a long time ago preach about there's a reason why gates are not shut. When you go to my house at night, I have a gate in front of my house. Guess what? The gate's shut. Why? Because I want you out of my house at night. So I want you to drive by my house at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, he has his gates shut. Maybe I should just come back tomorrow when the gates are open. Gates shut is what? It's a sign of protection. It's a sign of taking away bad and intruders, murderers, thieves. So you put a gate and you close your city walls. And, and here, in this passage, it's total opposite of what the earth does. <laughs> this is so amazing. Instead, it says, the gates shall always stay open. They shall not be shut at all. Why? Because there's always protection here. So open up the gates. You never need to close them. I'm here. And if I'm here, trust me, no evil is coming in. That's good. The future is bright. Amen? They shall bring the glory and honor to the nations into it. Verse 27. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles it. Nothing shall defile it. Nothing shall defile it. How many of you know we're amongst family here? Is that okay? Can I just be different for a moment? So I'm here and I forgot to turn off like my notifications on my iPad. So as I'm speaking, look what it says. Many of you just got it. NFL legend, Joe Montana, and his wife stopped the kidnapping when they wrestled their grandchild away from a home intruder. Close your gates. Joe Montana, close your gates. <laughs> That's crazy. Joe Montana just wrestled someone to try to steal their granddaughter. That's nuts. Right. Oh, man. The days we're living. There shall by no means, verse 27, enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I love that we live in a world today that, come on, seriously, like, I get it. Some of you guys stand like right. Some of you stand left. Some of you stand in the middle. Some of you guys are like, I don't even know where to stand now. Politically, no. But do any of you really know, like, what's true? So many things are being fed. So many things are being said. I love that in Scripture, in heaven, in glory, it's like, there's no lie here. Like, sometimes we read Scripture and we don't recognize the depth of it. Like, imagine living in a kingdom where forever there is no lie. Like, there is no second questioning. How many of you have lived, like, second questioning? Like I want, like you come to church and you sometimes you wonder about me. Like I wonder if he really is. <laughs> second question, second question, everything. And heaven is like, everything's true, everything's pure, everything's honest. Look what he says. Nothing that defiles it or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's all true. I love that. That's that's verse uh, 22 through 27, chapter 21. Let's skip. Let's skip a chapter. Here's the stuff I love. Here, ready. Chapter 22, 1 through 5, it says, And he showed me a pure river. Again, you're going to read this? Yeah, again. A pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, speaking about the same place as chapter 21. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God, if that tree was just here today, healing all the nations. It is. It's the cross. It's here, but they're not looking at the cross, the man who's been lifted up. But the tree in the New Jerusalem is healing all the nations who take of it. Verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. Man, no more curse. 
No more kidnapping your grandchildren. You have to wrestle the intruder away to save your grandchildren. No more curse. Hopefully Joe Montana will get this message today. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants, that's you and us. Remember I said true sons and daughters get the revelations that they're called to be servants? Remember the lost son, the prodigal son, the reckless son? He went back and he said, if I could just be a servant. So the sons and daughters in eternity, what? And the servants shall serve him. It's going to be an honor to serve our Papa. It's going to be an honor to serve our Abba. It's going to be an honor to serve our Dada. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. We're going to be tatted up. His name on our foreheads. I believe. I believe that means something else. I could talk to you about it after. There shall be no more night there. They need no more lamp, no more light for the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever with no end. Come on, how many of you can hear it? What more? What more can I do for you? That's home. That's home. What more? Come on, you're my vineyard. What more? How many of you can truly rejoice that you are the vineyard of God today? That you're the vineyard of God. You're his very special people to be, a, to be blessed, but also to be a blessing in this land. What more can God do for you? I wish I could just call you guys one by one and you could answer that. What more? What more? You could really just testify of that. Amen? Stand, can you stand with me here for a moment? Amen? Well, this is what I want to do. I want to just pause here for a moment and, and I want to just really just surrender our hearts to God. And I'm going to ask, as the elements of the Lord's Supper gets passed around, what a beautiful, what a beautiful time, uh, what a beautiful time uh, this is to do this. I, I want us, I want us to, to think about this for a moment. Lord, as I'm in your presence, as we are in your presence, here is your vineyard. Here is your people, Lord, living in this land for today. Here we are taking a stand today to not justify, to make no more excuses, but to, God, to call good for what it is good, to call sweet for what it is sweet, to call light for what it is light. That we would never exchange one for the other. That we would never be persuaded, convinced, Lord. That we would never, that we would never be tricked and trapped. And that we, in this land during this time, be your special people, your vineyard, to be just that. To be a blessing to many others. Lord, let me learn to be quiet when you've called me to be quiet. Let me learn to speak when you've called me to speak. To hear when you call me to hear. See when you call me to see. Go when you call me to go. Let me stay put when you call me just to wait. Lord, let me be obedient. Lord, let me be sweet. Lord, let me be light. Lord, that I would be good. In this current day and in the, in the days and in the ages to come. How many of you could say amen? Hallelujah.